Praise the Lord. Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to be back and see some familiar faces and, and also to meet some new folks. To be honest with you, this week I was not expecting to be here either. And uh, when I got the call that uh, a church had canceled out, um, you know, I was kind of surprised and, and we had already had that conversation about coming here. And thank God for a pastor like Pastor John. Hallelujah. And, uh, you know, to have the opportunity to come here and minister to a church that has been such a, a blessing in our lives. I was telling the earlier church service, uh, when we decided that we were going to go to Botswana, you know, that was uh, about 20 years ago. And uh, I was having a hard time getting uh, any inroads for talking at churches, uh, being a young man. And I knocked on the door of Sam Smith and, uh, and talked to him and said, you know, uh, Sam, you may not know this, but your, you know, your sister, I was saved at her meetings. My family was. And uh, you were the crusade director. And uh, this is my situation. He said, uh, don't worry about it, young man. Uh, you use my name. You call pastors and tell them that Sam Smith said that they should talk to you. And so I began to do that and, and doors began to open. And the church has been supportive of us ever since. Uh, that time, and um, even when Mary and I went through a difficult time uh, back in 2002, we came off the mission field to save our marriage. Uh, this church stood by us, and they were one of the few who stood by us as we worked out our situations. The Lord restored us, praise the Lord, and uh, we've gone back to the mission field. And uh, the Lord has just done some wonderful things in our lives, and, uh, and you're part of that uh, through your prayers and through your giving. We, last time we were here in February, we showed a short video. We'd like to show it again uh, for those that haven't seen it, so you can kind of see what we're doing together uh, to reach uh, the, the lost and to disciple, make disciples. So um, I'm going to ask them to kind of cue up that video. In 2007, we went back to Botswana, and uh, this is the first church. There should be some volume on this. this. This is our first church that we started. This is our second church. Uh, in Botswana, there's usually not very men that go to churches, but uh, we've prayed, and God has sent us men. Last year, we had six marriages in the church, which is wonderful because the men have to pay a bride price for their wives. Uh, and it's very expensive for them, sometimes 10, 12 cows. This is our third church. This is one of our young men we're grooming to be a pastor. He got married last year. Some normal housing in the background. We're trying to groom our church to have a world vision. This is one of our competitors. Uh, this is the sports program that we have for children. Children come and play sports. We talk to them about the Lord making good decisions in their lives. We have about 350 children that come uh, three days a week, and we feed them as well. About 20% of the children in our town are orphans, and that's because of the HIV pandemic. We are constructing an orphan center, which when it's completed will take care of about 240 children. We hope to open the first few homes to take care of 24 children this year. Progress has been a bit slow because of finances, but we are making progress. About 50% of the adults in our town are HIV positive, and that's why the, the orphan situation is so bad. 
This is the director's house and orphan home number three. We have a small-scale garden on the project now. Right now, since we don't have children that we're taking care of, we, we give that out to the poor. We do have a playground. Our plan is to build a school there as well, a Christian school and a vocational training center so that the, by the time the orphans come out from us, they'll have a, you know, a vocation and some background. This is our one-year Bible school program. This is some of our students a couple years ago, actually, the couple in the middle, they pastored about 10 churches but were unsaved. They came to the Bible school, got saved. She was healed of diabetes, and they took those changes back to their churches, our Bible school graduation. My wife runs a ladies, and uh, besides teaching the Word, she also does um, some skills training with them, and now she's getting more preaching invitations than myself. This is the public school. After a few years of doing the sports program with, this, with uh, the children, the school asked me to be their spiritual parent. I go and speak there every Friday. We're also in every junior and senior high school with our HIV prevention program, rated number one in the country last year. Spoke to over 9,000 youth just in this first part of this year. There's some traditional uh, travel. We also have begun the purchase of a 500-acre farm so that we can grow our own crops uh, for help the children, help the poor, and uh, also generate income to build more orphan projects and community projects in the future. This is just a poultry area on the farm and some housing on the farm that just for workers that needs to be fixed up. Praise the Lord. Even in the public school, after being there the first year, the grades in the school went up about 17%. They received the most improved school in the region. And uh, praise the Lord, the gospel is changing lives. Amen. So that's what we're doing. We're busy missionaries. Please be praying for us. And so we have some information out in the foyer. So if you're interested, if God... Uh, so leads your heart if you want to connect with us on a deeper way personally. There's some information out there. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, we covet your prayers. Amen. Let's pray and see where the Lord takes us this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the, the opportunity to gather and to hear and speak about your word. We pray that you lead us and guide us into the truths of your word that you use them to change our lives, to shape us and mold us into the image that you have for us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. For those that don't know, before I get started, this is my wife, Mary. Mary, can you just stand up? Hallelujah. Couldn't be doing what we're doing without her. And uh, I thank God that he gave me a gift like my wife. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bible with me. I'm going to go in a little bit different direction, at least to start off this morning. I don't know exactly why, but we'll turn with me to Psalm 105, please. Verse 
verse 16. It says, Moreover, he called for a famine in the land and destroyed all the provision of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters and laid him in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He made him lord over his house and ruler of his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. I have in mind where I want to go this morning, but I felt as we were going through worship that, I, that the Lord wanted me to start here with this verse. And the Bible talks about Joseph receiving a word from the Lord. He was given a God-given direction and vision for his life. But the Bible tells us that the word of the Lord tried him. And it tells us that in between the word from the Lord and its fulfillment, it wasn't a very pretty picture. Joseph, it says, they hurt his feet with fetters. He went through pain in order to get to where God wanted him to get to. And the journey of faith was not without trials. It was not without tests. It was not without, it says that what God was actually doing was it was the word of the Lord that was testing him. And sometimes when God gives us a word or a dream or a vision, and I hope we have some for our lives, that between its beginning, its, its genesis and its end, its revelation when it comes to pass, There's a lot that is in the process. And God's word, it says, it tested him. In the Hebrew language, it says, it smeltered him. Now, in my town, we have a smelter. Oh, it's a copper mining town. And so what they do is they they take a, a chunk of earth, which doesn't look like it has much value, actually. And they put it in a smelter and they heat it up. And and they put it under this incredibly hot uh, fire. And it draws off all the, the excess, all the things that are not valuable come off. So that finally they can end up with something that really has substantial value to the world. And what the Bible tells us is that when God gives his word to us, that word comes with a package. It comes to smelter us. And as Christians, many times we cannot understand the smeltering process. And Joseph's process was a smeltering process. The prison, the accusations of Potiphar's wives, the, and, and all of it was wrapped up into one day he was going to get to the end where actually he could step into that which the Lord had for him. Hallelujah. And as I was contemplating these ideas, as I looked at this verse before, I recognized that with every dream, 
No dream comes about without first a sense of failure. And I began to, actually I was praying about it and the Lord spoke to me and said, No dream comes about without first a sense of failure. And I began to run references in my, in my brain. And I thought about Moses. And Moses got a glimpse of the dream that God had for him. And he wanted to step out in that dream. And he actually made some steps. He, he, he stepped forward and killed an Egyptian. And he thought they'd understand. And they didn't understand. And he went into the wilderness. And he was there for actually a long time. Until he had this total sense that it was over. And when God came said to him, now's the time. Moses said, hey, I could have believed that back then. But now I have a hard time actually believing that what you put in my heart. Why this 40 years? When now I'm an old man. And, and now I can't even speak like I used to speak. And now I'm not known by anyone. And the generation in Egypt that, that feared me, they're gone. And then I thought about Joseph. And I thought about John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist there in prison. And, you know, he's fulfilling this great thing. And then he has the sense. Are you the one? Or is there someone else? And then I thought about even Jesus himself on the cross. And I said, Jesus, did you feel that sense of failure? And then I remembered when he was on that cross and he said, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And the time between that ultimate feeling of failure and the fulfillment of the dream is actually pretty close. And what I want to start off by encouraging you this morning, if you feel like you're at that season where you feel the ultimate sense of loss, of the dream and vision, I want to encourage you that it's just around the corner. Hallelujah. You know, sometimes when we, we get married, we have a sense of vision and dream for our marriage. And then we can go through seasons in our marriage where we feel like it's just a failure. And I want to encourage you that sometimes the success is right around the corner. It's at that ultimate time when we lose all sense of ourselves. That God says, you know, it really wasn't about you. It was about my words. Now you can give the credit to where credit is due. I remember back in about 2001, we had a prophet that came over to Botswana. And, you know, I wasn't sure if he was a prophet or not. And he said, you know, I got I to gotta meet with you. It was past, he was meeting at another church and... He took me out to lunch. And at first when I met him, you know, I went up to meet him. I enjoyed his sermon. I said, you know, I really enjoyed your message. I talked to him. And he was rude and, um, and arrogant. And I, I, at first I didn't like him. And then he kind of paused for me. He says, but I, I got to take you out to lunch. And I wasn't sure I wanted to go out with lunch with him, you know, after that. <laughs> he took me out to lunch and, and he, he sat down with me. He says, you're the reason that I've come to Botswana. And God is going to do this and this and this through your life. And so he, he said, uh, all churches were gathering for a meeting. He said, I'm going to stand you up in front and I'm going to lay hands on you and I'm going to declare to the town what you're supposed to do in this country. 
And he told me some things about my past that no one would knew, and I was so excited about that. And so that happened. You know, it prayed for me in front of all the people. And then all hell broke loose in my life. I mean, we had struggles in our ministry. We had struggles in our marriage. We had struggles all around. And I felt I had lost all of that. And now God is beginning to awaken it again. And I want to encourage you that this is the way that God works. These are the ways of God. Hallelujah. So if you take a snapshot of Joseph's life, when his feet are in fetters, it doesn't look like he's getting any closer to the dream being fulfilled. And I'm sure there was a lot of people making wrong conclusions about Joseph. And the thing is, is that people are going to make wrong conclusions about you as well. As you're in process. You know, like I said, when, when we came back off the mission field, there was a lot of people who backpedaled from us. Not realizing that we were just being smeltered. Hallelujah. And sometimes it's not the devil. Sometimes it's the Lord. That's doing the smeltering. And smeltering doesn't feel good. Smeltering hurts. They hurt his feet with fetters. See, sometimes we get a, uh, an understanding of God that really is, I think, uh, not whole enough. You know, because we say things like God is good and God is good all the time. And we have a conception of what goodness is especially in our day and age i mean parents give everything to their children without requiring any responsibility i mean sometimes without giving any discipline and they think they're being good because they they run out ahead of every little thing and every little situation and try to block the way so that they never experience any pain or any hurts And that's not being good. The other day I was listening to the news. They were saying that one place in America, I forgot where it was, that they were saying, you know, we're not going to say, can the boys and girls get in lines anymore because we might hurt them by calling them boys and girls. And I thought, oh my Lord. Are we raising children that are so sensitive? Oh no, no, call me a boy. But... As parents, our job is not just to fend off everything. Yes, we've got to protect our children from some things in the world. Hallelujah. We need to keep them from being exposed to too much too early. You understand what I'm saying? But sometimes when they make mistakes, they need to feel the consequences of those mistakes. And their choices. God is good enough to allow us to go through things that are painful. Because he knows that those things are actually the things that are going to help us to become better people. We need obstacles to become strong. You know, strong faith does not come about simply by hearing the word. Just like you don't become strong just by eating. 
I mean, and uh, I'm glad I don't live in America because I'd probably be too big, you know. Strong faith doesn't come by just eating. Just like the strong body doesn't come by just hearing the word. It comes, there's the potential to become strong, but you need something to exercise with. You need something that's working against you so that you can walk by faith and not by sight. In other words, if you want the faith of Moses, you need the trials of Moses. If you want to be an Elijah, you need the rejection of Elijah. So we in our Christian community, many times what what I've seen in the past is we have people who want the power of God. But they don't want the process. They want the testimony without the test. So in some groups they say, you know, come and lay your hands on me so that you might impart to me that which you have. Do you know that doesn't work most times? Because you've got to walk the road that got you that. Hallelujah. There's no crown without a cross. But don't get discouraged along the way. Hallelujah. All right, that's, I tried. Don't give up on your dreams just because you're being smelted right now. God gave them to you. Paul said to Timothy, he said, wage a good warfare with the words that were spoken over you. He was saying to Timothy, Timothy, it may not look like God's going to use you the way they said that he was going to use you. Because if you take a snapshot right now, it doesn't look good. But you fight with that. You say, this is why I was created. And right now, I am one day closer to fulfilling the call of God on my life than I was yesterday. And it takes experts to sometimes see diamonds when they're not yet fully polished. So don't be surprised that most people can't see it. You know, in, in, in Botswana, we got our independence in 1966 from Britain. One of the few countries that got independence without ever fighting any battles. And one of the reasons I think the British gave independence was because... Botswana was, at that time, one of the poorest countries in the world. It's 70% desert. There's, there's nothing there. The next year, they discovered diamonds. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> and I'm sure, because we've become the number one diamond producer in the world, I'm sure Great Britain is a little sad. <laughs> but they couldn't see that which was just under the surface. You have to see what's under the surface in yourself because sometimes when God gives you a word, he sees it. And he lets you know it's there. And sometimes when he lets you know that it's there, sometimes we get so full of ourselves because for the first time we begin to think, wow, I'm really going to do something. And then God begins to put the smelter. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, as I drove to church this morning, I was saying to myself, this is a dream for me. 
to preach in this church on a Sunday morning. But I, you know, I had to go through a process of losing that so that when I get here, it's not me. Like, I'm, I'm not full of myself anymore. Because if this happened a year ago, I wasn't ready in my heart. Hallelujah. So, also, don't despise what God is using to smelter you. You know, Jesus needed a Judas to become the man he was. David needed a Saul to become who he was. And David was able to keep his heart right, even though Saul was the instrument of misery. And that's why God said, this guy's a man after my own heart. Don't get caught up with the vessel who is being used as the smelter. Don't despise them for being the mechanism that God is using. Hallelujah. You know, it could be the person at work. <laughs> could be the person at home. Thank God that he's working on us. Hallelujah. All right. Praise the Lord. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Matthew. Chapter 28. Verse 18. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. This last year, as I was reading this passage, some truths began to dawn on my heart. One is kind of just the, the remembering that what God is after is disciples. He did not tell the leaders to go out and make converts, nor was he looking for churchgoers. He was not simply looking for them to be born again. He told them to go out and make or form disciples. And then he says, to the disciples that are made, teach them to observe what has been commanded them. And one of the things that's been commanded to them is to make disciples. In other words, what God is saying is, go and make disciples and tell them that they are commanded to also make disciples. Hallelujah. Now, for me, I, I was telling the church in the first service... When I came to the Lord and I started being a pastor, I thought that I was supposed to do the ministry work and people were supposed to be ministered to. And, you know, they were going to be born again and I would pray for them and they'd be healed and I would do the work of ministry. And then I read Ephesians chapter 4 and it dawned on me that our job is to equip 
the believers to do the work of ministry. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, go and make disciples and encourage them that their calling is to make disciples. Hallelujah. You know, much of the church world, especially in America right now, is not really following the mandate to go into all the world and make disciples. I mean, a lot of churches are getting ingrown where everything is about the group and us. And being comfortable and having all the best things for ourselves. Why the world goes to hell. But we are called to become first be disciples and then to make disciples. Hallelujah. And then I begin to ask myself, okay, if I'm supposed to make disciples... First of all, am I a disciple? Say, well, you have to be a disciple. You're a missionary. You're a pastor. You've been to Bible school. No, no, no. Jesus gave qualifications of what a disciple would look like. And then I have to measure myself against that litmus test of discipleship. And then I'm called to help others become disciples And then for them to have a heart to make disciples. Hallelujah. You understand what I'm saying? A a lot of people, what they've done is they become born again. And then they kind of coast thinking, well, you know, I've arrived. And, you know, if I, if I, you know, give of myself in favor. And they should be happy that I'm willing to give a little bit of myself. Because there aren't many who are even willing to do that. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, go and make disciples. Go and make people who live like I live. Who walk like I walk. Who act like I act. Who are unselfish like I'm unselfish. Go and make those kind of people. Hallelujah. Now, one of the things that Jesus said is he measured out discipleship. He says... And they'll know that you're my disciples because we, because we love one another. Now the word for love that's used there is the word agape. It means you make a choice to love. You make a judgment. I will love you. In other words, agape is not based on the other person doing anything to make you love them. In fact, they will actually many times do the opposite. But agape love says, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter how you react. I choose that I will love you. And that's a mark of discipleship. God so loved the world. There was nothing lovely about the world. You know, the world is not lovely. Have you figured that out? Took me a while because I used to think, you know, I'm pretty good. And, you know, God sees some pretty good people and he, he, he sent his son to save them. But there's nothing good in us. And God gets to see all the rotten things that are going on in the world. Not just the actions, but the thoughts. You know, when God flooded the world, it wasn't because of what they were doing. He said there was violence in the earth and every thought of man is evil. 
God brought judgment to the world, not because of what was being done, but what was being thought. So sometimes as Christians, we've got terrible thoughts. We don't do it in action, but we've got thoughts. And we think we're okay. Well, God saw all that and God made a decision. God made a judgment. I will love the world. I will to do it. You know, when, when we have to have the right input from people to love them, they're really in charge of our lives. Let me say that again. When we have to have the right input from people to love them, they're in control of our lives. When we make a decision of our will, I will love you, we're in control. Hallelujah. Stop letting the person at work be in control of your life. In control of your emotions. Make a decision. I will love so and so. I make a judgment. I will love them. Hallelujah. And I will be free to love them. See, when the world sees that kind of love... It knows we're different. But the world as it looks at us as Christians, many times it doesn't see that kind of love. Why? Because we're born again, but we're not disciples yet. Amen? Have you ever felt like, you know, I love people who love me? I mean, I I, I actually love this guy. I was looking forward to seeing him. (laughs) I've known him since I was a boy. We lost track of each other for 30 years. But he was a friend of my family. And he's always good to me. It's easy to love Dennis Sullivan. But not everyone's Dennis Sullivan. I'm called to love people who are not like Dennis Sullivan. Hallelujah. And that is part of me becoming a disciple. See, that person is your opportunity to show That you are really like the Lord. That you're really a disciple. You know, it says husbands love your wives. It's the same word, agape. It means you choose to love her if she's not giving you any reason to love her. When she's saying things that he'll love you. But it hurts. Yes, that's the walk of faith. See, true spirituality is not being governed by our feelings. It's being governed by God. Love your enemies. Means make a decision. Make a choice. I will love you. Hallelujah. How do we do that? Turn with me to the book of Mark chapter 8. Hey, time is flying Hallelujah. Jesus said in verse 34, he called his people to himself with his disciples and said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to follow me, 
must do what? He first must deny himself. He must say to himself, self, you don't get to do what you want to do anymore. You don't get to say what you want to say this time. You don't get to give what you want to give right now. Self, you're not in control of my life. I deny you. That is a step towards discipleship. We all must deny aspects of ourselves. When you want to say that thing which is hurtful, you deny yourself. When you want to respond in kind, but that's not really kind, you deny yourself. When you want to be lazy instead of getting up and praying or, or coming to church, you deny yourself. You say, self, you're not in control. There's someone I'm following. See, you can't follow unless you deny yourself. Hallelujah. And then you're going to take up your cross. It's part of being a disciple. What does it mean? It means with all your good intentions to follow the Lord, you're going to get hurt on the way. People are going to hurt you, say things, do things that hurt you. It is part of the Christian package. See, Jesus didn't go around telling everyone, follow me and everything will be easy. He said, in this world, you'll have tribulation. He said, they're going to persecute you, but rejoice when they do. Don't complain about it. Don't talk about people. Rejoice because great is your reward in heaven. People are going to say things and do things that hurt, even in the church. Don't be surprised by it. It's part of your package. Hallelujah. Have you ever been hurt? Maybe this morning? <laughs> Mary and I went on our way to church years ago. We used to hurt each other on the way to church. <laughs> Sunday morning was the worst morning. And then until we realized, you know what? This is, the, this is actually the devil stirring us up. And we said, oh, okay, I get this. We're going to deny ourselves the right to fight on, on these days. Praise the Lord. And then just, we don't have to stop there. We can deny ourselves all week long. One of the signs of being a disciple is being a lover. Hallelujah. Turn with me to the book of John. Chapter 1. Verse 12. It says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be children of God, to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. Notice it says he gave them the right to become the children of God. In other words, when they received him, become the children of God, he gave them the right to become. So, so Robert, you're saying that I'm not a child. No, I'm not saying that. 
I'm saying that this verse is talking about a progression into becoming a child of God. Now, as I understood being a child of God growing up in the church, being a child of God, it looked like certain things. One, it looked like I come to church. I should read my Bible. I should sing praise and worship songs. And that makes me a child of God. And then I was thinking one day as I was reading this, that what was the conception in their mind when they thought about being children of God? See, for the people who were reading this, many of them were coming out of Roman and Greek mythology. And when they heard that they could become a child of God, man, it was something else. They were thinking about becoming like a Hercules. They were thinking about becoming superhuman. They were thinking about being an answer to a generation. They were about thinking about the limitations being off and actually being a child of God. Hallelujah. So here it's saying, to as many as received him, he gave them the right. Another word for this in the Greek language, he gave them the capacity to become children of God. You know, one of the things that, that God says, love your enemies and so you'll be show yourself as a child of the Father, right? Same principle, right? Here it's actually saying, you and I, when we believe in the Lord and we believe in his name, we are given a capacity to become a child of God. We're given a capacity to do what people cannot do. We can do what God does because we are children of God. And we're given that capacity when we believe and we believe in his name. Remember when Paul and, and Peter and John went about doing healings and miracles? What did they say? The gods have come here. And they said, these are the gods. Because they were doing supernatural things. So it's saying, if we believe in him and we believe in his name, it gives us the capacity to be children of God. The limits change. The framework changes. Hallelujah. You know, I was telling the first service, we have a lady over in Botswana when the pastors get together. You know, we, we normally have, you know, the, we sharing and, and sometimes someone leads out in a song and, and then one of the pastors shares in the pastor's fellowship. And there's always this lady that leads out in a song and it's horrible. <laughs> and I wish someone would tell her, you don't have the capacity <laughs> to sing. I mean, she could go on to Pavarotti or, you know, these people for years, she can't even make a joyful noise. It's horrible. But what this is saying is you and I have a capacity. Now, as in, in Botswana, when we started our HIV program in the schools, the government looked at our program and said, you've got visions, you've got dreams, you've got some things you want to accomplish, and you've got capacity, but we need to help you to build that capacity. You and I have capacity, hallelujah, to be children of God. 
And I want to ask you to take yourself to a different framework of what that means. But that capacity has to be built. Hallelujah. Remember the scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he becomes a new creation. A new creature. In the Greek language, a new species. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know what it's actually saying? When you get born again, you become something that never existed before. You become a different species. You're not simply a child born of men. You're a child born of God. And being born of God, given you some of his abilities. And the old limitations, that's actually what the Greek means. The old limitations have passed away. And a new formation has happened. Because you've been joined together with God. You know what Paul said to the church? He said, don't you know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know that God has actually become one spirit with you? God is not afar off. God has joined himself to you. You're co-laborers together with him. You and God are one. Hallelujah. And if there's a need, if there's a need for some change agent or some answer to a generation, it's you. You've become one spirit with God. These signs will follow those who believe. They'll cast out devils. They'll pick up serpents. You know, in the Greek language, it means to pick up the, the devil's powers and remove them. It doesn't, it's not talking about handling rattlesnakes. But saying, for those who believe, they have the ability to remove Satan's power. Not simply being born again and stopping there. It's the believers. For those who believe in his name. That's what John chapter 1 says. To as many as received him. He gave them the power to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name. It is believing in the name which launches us into our true dimension of who we are. See, what he said to him is go and preach the gospel. And, you know, some people will, will believe and be saved. And these signs will follow them, not you guys. See, the gospel is a message that has the ability not only to save us, but to bring us good news so that we become dispensers of God's character. You know, God wants to do so many wonderful things in the earth. And the problem that he has is not him, it's us. He's pregnant with a desire to be good to people. He wants to do miracles. He has a desire to show himself strong. He needs a church which is unified with him in spirit. In other words, it's not about trying to get him to do anything. Now it's about releasing what he wants to do. See, with the healing ministry, I used to think when I looked at sick people, I wish I could get God to have compassion on them. All the compassion I feel, I wish I could get him because he doesn't seem to care. And then I realized that's the wrong framework. He cares so much. He wants to touch them. I'm simply there to release who he is. 
And if I don't release who he is, the world is in a deficit of who he is. See, the reason that people think that God is uncaring and unloving is because, not because of God. It's because of us. I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip. I'm trying to get a different change in mindset. But sometimes we're praying like we're in the Old Testament. Jesus has already come and died and demonstrated his love. And now he wants us to be a living expression of that demonstration. And if we don't demonstrate it, we leave the world in a deficit as to his character. But we've been given the capacity. Don't say about yourself, I don't have the capacity. You have the capacity. It may have to be built a little bit, but it's there. See, I used to look at people who are used by God and put them up on a pedestal and think to myself, you know, I'll never, I'll never see those kinds of things in my life. James wrote to the church, he said, Elijah is a person just like you and I. Take him off the pedestal. Put him back down where you are. You can pray and close up the heavens. You can pray and make it rain. Don't think the government is in control of the world. The Bible says all authority is given to him. In heaven. You know, we're actually in a better position than before Jesus died. Because he didn't have all the authority. He said, now it's been given to me. And now that I have it. Go out from this place of knowing I'm in control. Face sickness and demons without fear. Stop being afraid of things like Ebola. That's nonsense. God has given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you. Hallelujah. You've got to believe that. And if you don't believe it yet, you've got to hear it and then exercise yourself where you are right now. And if you've been disappointed in the past and things haven't happened and haven't worked out, you know what? Throw away that disappointment. Pick yourself back up because there's a world that needs you. Deny yourself the right to sit on the shelf. Deny yourself the right to sit on your gifts. Deny yourself the right to hold your talents back. Deny yourself the right of being a mediocre Christian. Deny yourself. Say self. You're not going to be in control of my life anymore. Because there's so many people that have been hurt. And now they're sidelined. They're sitting on their gifts. And God is saying, I want to demonstrate who I am. And you're not. It was the cross. Get up. I remember when I came out of Bible school, my mom's here. Praise the Lord. I got a godly mom. My mom joined the worship team at 80 years of age. I'm so proud of her. 
Hallelujah. She had that in her heart all her life. And at 80, she stepped up on the worship team. Hallelujah. She was at her church this morning worshiping, then she got in the car, come here. Don't let anything cause you to not be the person that you are meant to be. There are people who are sitting on the answers to someone else's problems. My mom had a friend years ago, and I got out of Bible school. Man, I was so full of faith and so, you know, I was a 20-something-year-old kid. And, you know, I heard these doctrines, and I'm going to pray and lay hands on people, and they're going to be healed. And My mom had a friend that had lung cancer. We went to see her. I talked to her about healing, and I laid my hands on her. She said, I feel the power. No, she was not even born again. She said, I feel something happening on the inside. Something is changing. I led her to the Lord. She got born again. I, I talked to her about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. She said, I want that. I prayed for her. She spoke in tongues. Man, I went home. I was on cloud 11. <laughs> A few weeks later, she died. I was shocked. I remember laying in my bed with tears in my eyes as I contemplated why. And I was faced with a decision. I could shelf everything and never do it again. Or I could believe God again and get back out there and do what he wanted me to do. My wife, the reason she's my wife, she was a widow. She lost her husband to cancer. I got to meet him before he passed away. You know, she prayed for him. And he died and then she was expecting him. He'll raise from the dead. He has to. And he didn't. And you may think that's silly, but we believe in those kinds of things. And I, you know, she said, I'll never. She said to the Lord, I'll never trust you again about healing. I'll do all the other things, but I won't do that. And God said to her, you can't stay there, Mary. You can't stay there because there's someone else who needs you. They need me. And I can only reach them through somebody like you. You know, we've prayed for several people that have had cancer now and they've been healed. Their eyes open. I've seen tumors just disappear. Take my hands off and the people feel for them and they're gone. What if I had stopped? I don't understand why it didn't happen. I got to deny myself the, the, the fact that I have to understand everything. Say, self, you don't need to know everything. What you need to know is there's people out there who need the gospel. God is so good. He's so loving. He's so kind. And he wants to demonstrate that through us. You know, I've known churches that have gotten paralyzed over the fact that someone in the church died. You know, and if if that's your loved one, I'm sorry that that happened. But don't even let that stop you. Because the next time, it's going to work. And if it doesn't work the next time, don't let that stop you. Keep growing in your capacity. 
You know, you had Christopher Allen here a few weeks ago. He's a friend of mine. I worked with, Mary and I worked with his ministry. And he kind of took us under the wing. He picked us up when we were on the rocks. When we didn't believe in ourselves, he believed in us. And I remember when he heard that I was going to do a crusade myself, a, a gospel outreach, he put his hand around me and said, Rob, this is what you do. You call for the deaf people first. Call all the deaf people, have their families, take them to the front. You command the deaf spirits to leave. If anything's missing, you, God create it. If anything's infected or whatever, God heal it. All the deaf people, you know, when they're healed, it will make it easy for everyone else. You know what I said to myself? I hope there's no deaf people there. <laughs> I I ain't doing that. (laughs) Because why? My capacity was not there yet. But there was one lady who came to the meeting and she could hardly walk. And I put my, I knew that, I believed that if I got my hands on her, something would change. I put my hands on her. God began, she began to move herself like this. And all of a sudden these joints and everything got working. And she, and I said to her, what do you want to do? She said, I want to dance. I know that keyboard player, I had to shout at him, play something, because he was just like, I said, come on, play something. We played, and she began to dance, and I mean, the whole, the, the place that we were in, I mean, we, they just had a party, because they knew this lady, and they sang and worshipped until we ran out of petrol and the generator, and all got dark, but Jesus had come to the village. Now, why am I saying that? I didn't have the capacity to do what Christopher was doing. And I had to recognize I'm not Christopher. But I'm here right now. And I want to encourage you, find out where you are and pick up from where you are. You know, some of you used to have, used to be, used to use, God used to use you. And now you're kind of sitting and existing You weren't made to exist. You were made to make a difference. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. When God looks at a dark world, he says, I got an answer. There's a light there. When the world is in chaos, he says, I got an answer. There's some salt there. Jesus had to tell his disciples, this is who you are. You're not just fishermen. You're not just rejects. You're not just castaways. You're not just, you're the answer. And the problem is not too big for the answer. My God, give up, you know, just eating and drinking and rehearsing depression. Over the state of America. America needs an awakening. And you're here. Hallelujah. God is not looking at the state of the world and saying it's a loss. Write it off. He's saying in the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. On all flesh. Our sons and daughters are going to prophesy. They're not going to just get hooked up in drugs and stay there. They're going to prophesy. Our young men are going to see visions. Our old men are going to dream dreams in these last days. 
don't have a defeatist mindset. Some of you need to shut off certain radio stations and stop listening to them. You will only listen to them if after you listen to them you say, praise the Lord, we're not going down. Because Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. You know, the president of America doesn't have all the control of America. All authority is given unto him in heaven and on earth. Whether you're a Democrat or whether you're a Republican, I don't really care this morning. My point is our faith is not in them. It's in someone higher than them. Hallelujah. You are the answer. You may be in the smelter right now, but you're the answer. You know, there have been so many opportunities to quit along the way. So many. So many. I'll end with this. Sorry, Pastor, I've gone over a bit. Someone was sharing with me Christopher Columbus's diary, what he had written in his diary as he traveled across with his ships. And, you know, he would document every day what was going on. And, you know, some days he would write and he'd say, you know, we, this problem happened and this problem happened. And, you know, that the people were getting sick and one of the ships broke. And he would say, and we sailed on. And every day he would write and he'd say, you know, this happened and this happened, and, but we sailed on. The crew has turned against me, but we sailed on. It looks like we've been in a storm and it doesn't look like it's going to end for a long time, but we sailed on. And every day he would write and finish it up by saying, and we sailed on. And some days it was so bad he didn't write anything except, and we sailed on. And he discovered a new world simply by sailing on. I want to encourage you, when you're in the darkest times, keep sailing on. Don't quit. Don't get stuck. Don't go back. Don't long for yesterday. Tomorrow is better. Don't worry about it. Keep sailing on. Persevere. Don't quit. Hallelujah. Don't you love those sports teams when they get down, they don't quit? I mean, you ever watch professional wrestling? Don't throw stones. You know the world loves professional wrestling because the guy's getting hit in the head with uh, the table. And I I know it's not real, but you know know, he's, he's about dead. But all of a sudden he starts to, you know, he won't quit. And the world loves people that won't quit. And God loves people who won't quit. You may be on the mat right now and the whole world is expecting you just to stay down, stay down, stay down. Don't stay down. Get up. Right now, the devil might be telling you, just give up on this marriage. Just give up. 
I'm saying, don't stay down. Because you might find there's a new world. We found there was a new world for us around the corner. One day, Mary and I were driving in the car. I reached over and I held her hand. I said, thank God we didn't throw each other away because we were close. And you know what? There are people who are looking at us and saying, you probably should throw each other away. But there was a new world as we sailed on. I love you. God loves you more than we could ever. May God encourage you. Sail on. Hallelujah. Sail on. Amen.